Welcome to Experts Only Podcast, sponsored by Clean Capital. You can learn more at cleancapital.com. I'm your host, John Powers. Each week, we explore the intersection of energy, innovation, and finance with leaders across the industry. Thank you so much for joining us. Thanks so much for joining us on Experts Only Podcast. We have a really interesting conversation today with Kelly Speaks Bachman, the CEO of the Energy Storage Association. We've received a lot of interest from our listeners on energy storage, and I think you're going to hear a series of conversations started with Bill Bush, the CFO of STEM, uh, as we really explore this space. And, you know, as we talk about in the podcast today, you know, the holy grail has come to nest. Storage is here, and and how are we going to work it both in the distributed generation and the utility space? How is it going to get financed? What are the technologies and software companies moving ahead? Kelly represents, as the CEO of the Energy Storage Association, the National Trade Association dedicated to energy storage. They're working towards a more resilient, efficient, sustainable, and affordable grid. Um, the organization itself represents a diverse group of companies, including independent power producers, IPPs, electric utilities, energy service companies, financiers, manufacturers, all those involved in the storage space. Kelly herself has over 20 years of experience in energy and energy efficiency. She's covered both the business side of this and the policy side. She served as, in, as the director uh, for clean energy for at the Maryland Energy Administration, helped leading their renewable energy portfolio uh, to 20% by 2022. Uh, her rich experience, you'll hear it throughout the conversation, I think is really critical in helping to advocate and move forward the energy policies we need to get storage implemented. And as she re- she references, you know, storage hit a great one gigawatt hour target in 2017, is going to double that in 2018, and just continue to grow from there. So please enjoy the conversation. Kelly, thank you so much for joining us on the podcast. Thank you so much for having me. I'm excited to be here. So as we were talking uh, off mic here, you, you grew up in, were born in West Virginia, grew up in Ohio, ended up going to school for mechanical engineering in Boston. How, where along that path did you get sort of interested in the clean energy space? Well, I've always had an interest in, um, in new technology and new innovation. And in fact, I went into engineering not to, be, uh, not to be an engineer, but actually to follow that up with law school and to be a patent attorney because I knew I wasn't wow. um, creative enough to be an inventor, but I really, really liked the idea of new technologies. So, uh, but I ended up uh, not going to law school and instead started off my career doing HVAC design for a um, an engineering firm and uh, got involved. Actually, funny thing is, is with a uh, project that did ice storage. Um, and I was doing a life cycle cost estimate for ice storage. And that sort of, I, I, the bug bit me on how to make, how to use energy more wisely and more efficiently, either in time or um, in the actual efficiency of the technologies and how, um, you know, short-term upfront investment is so much different than the long-term financial health of an organization uh, through their energy use. So where in that process as you were going, you know, actually designing and, and, and sounds like you had a lot of hands-on experience, did you begin to, to get interested in the policy side of it? Yeah, that, so that's interesting. Um, I have to say I've had a bit of a, a, a long path to get here, but it's, it's been so exciting and it's been so varied that I think it's been important that 
uh, it's brought me to this particular place. I, um, I, I first started uh, in the energy world in full with a company called Yenbacher, which is, uh, was a combined heat and power or landfill to gas uh, reciprocating technology. And the manufacturer wanted to start up in the United States. And so uh, my college roommate and I um, started up Yenbacher in the U.S. And that was for energy projects that actually cost more upfront, but then would save consumers money. It was commercial industrial. Um, and that's how I started getting involved in the energy and environment space. Interesting. And yeah, so I started off in business. Is your college um, roommate still involved in the energy space? She actually is right now. She's in Beirut doing oh, wow. <laughs> some really cool, yeah, some really cool investment projects. She's been in the energy space uh, forever, but she's just kind of being. She's an investor now. Yeah. In sustainability, so yeah, so we, so I started off on the business side of this in understanding, you know, how, what paybacks mean to consumers, what it can enable them to do. Um, and so I've worked across the course of my career in. Uh, natural gas generation, in uh, solar, in wind, in landfill gas to energy and other biogas technologies, fuel cells I was involved in. Um, so mainly it was sort of along the range of sort of where are the market strategies. I, I was hired at first for Yenbacher to be a project engineer, but we didn't have any projects to manage. So, right. <laughs> so I had to get into sales and, right. you know, with a with a new company like uh, this Austrian small Austrian company, I think they had 800 employees at the time. So with that um, sort of, they'd send over these A4 size papers that were in German English, and you'd have to like fix the marketing for that, and then you have <laughs> to find your market. And so I just kind of along all the different functions of what it takes to put, you know, you know how startups go. You have to do pretty much everything, and so I just really fell in love with this space of energy and environment, regardless of what my function was in the job. So I've had along my career, a lot of different opportunities to work on the technical side, on the sales side, on the business strategy side. And all of those areas consistently fell into the idea of policy matters and the rules around which you play this game are so incredibly important in order to get the best results which in my mind and in my passion is, you know, an efficient grid uh, in the electricity space that is environmentally sound and um, progressive and that we create a better world for ourselves. So that's where I kind of ended up in the policy space. It was just really out of a need to get to the, you know, the, the base of how do you make the playing field fair and open and accessible for technologies that are new and upcoming at a faster and faster pace and that allow us to get to where we really need to go, which is a cleaner world with energy that helps us to be productive. So when you got interested in sort of hungry in this space, first of all, I've got to say as a someone who's been on the business side, makes you that much better of a policy advocate. How did you end up going and getting involved with the, the Maryland Energy Administration? Hmm. Um, I actually, it was, it was a really great time in Maryland. They had just uh, passed their RPS and they were looking at how to get to the goal of 20% renewable energy by 2022. And so I went into Malcolm Wolf, who's now um, over at uh, 
the uh, advanced a- energy a- economy, yeah. yeah, advanced energy economy. And I said, you know, I can consult with you and help you figure out which technologies and which um, opportunities should be exploited in order to get us get you to this 20% by 2022. And he said, you know what? It's a great idea, but I think instead you should come on board. We're looking for a clean energy director. And that was it. I, I fell in love with the public sector. <laughs> yeah. And I mean, Marilyn's done some really interesting stuff. And so you went from that and then you went from there to the Alliance, right, to save energy? Well, actually, I went from uh, Maryland Energy Administration. Um, we we um, It was the first year of the Offshore Wind Energy Act, um, right. uh, which was a bill put forth by Governor Martin O'Malley. And um, my group and, and our agency was the technical lead on that first year bill. And it took three years to pass. But during that first year, I had um, a, the wonderful opportunity to work with Governor O'Malley and um, his office. Uh, Abby Hopper was in that office. She's yeah. now the CEO of SIA. And not quite 11 months after I started at Maryland Energy Administration, he had appointed me to the Maryland Public Service Commission, where I served until about 2015. So I was a commissioner then during a pretty exciting time um, from 2011 to 2015, where we underwent um, issues of reliability and resilience. We went underwent issues of mergers we, uh, of utilities. We underwent issues of um, actually creating regulations for that offshore wind uh, energy act uh, that did finally pass. Um, and it was a really, it's a really exciting time. Yeah, interesting. Actually, the first time I met Malcolm, he came in when I was at the White House and tried to get us to do a long-term power purchase agreement to buy that offshore wind. Uh, we yeah. just couldn't, couldn't convince some of the feds to uh, wrap their heads around it. So um, We were so hoping. Yeah, seriously. <laughs> so, um, you know, I, I hit on the fact that you worked, worked at the Alliance, and we can talk more about that, but I really want to get into, um, you know, the work you're doing today and, you know, talk a little bit about sort of the energy the Energy Storage Association. Before getting into energy storage, there's so much interest from our listeners into energy storage, you know, being a game-changing technology. Can you talk a little bit about what the association is and what its role is? Sure, sure. So uh, Energy Storage Association is the National Trade Association for Energy Storage. And that's across, actually, a lot of people don't know this, but it's across all technologies of storage. You know, if you think of storage as really literally just the decoupling of the element of time from generation and demand. It can take many forms. So this is ice storage. It is thermal storage. It is battery storage. It's mechanical storage. So we represent companies um, and and their policy interests um, across all those technologies. We also represent... Does that include the software um, that it's managing? Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. So we represent a really broad array of stakeholders in that process. We have utilities within our membership. Uh, We also have manufacturers. We have system integrators. We have developers and independent power producers. Uh, We have consultants and lawyers and all of those kind of side services that go along with it, which really gives us a very broad perspective of um, the, intri- the, the industry itself and the, the varying interests, which are not always aligned. Because, right. You know, storage itself is a really, really complicated matter. But um, then if you throw in all of these folks 
into one particular issue, you can have quite a robust conversation. But it helps us to understand the um, impact of our decision across the entire landscape. Interesting. So it's, I want to come back to the policy side of this for sure, because it's such, you know, in this, in the energy space, policy is so critical and local policy is so, so key. But I, I do want to talk a little bit about sort of the, you know, we, as we were talking off, uh, off air, this is, uh, for a long time, energy storage was the Holy Grail, but now the Holy Grail is here. So, you know, there's yeah. been so much amazing development, both on the software side, but also the hardware side. Why, you know, why today? Why are things starting to, to really come together in the way that they are for storage? And, you know, what are some of the big leaps we've seen in the last two to three years that are, that are causing that, that uh, emergence? Yeah. So there's, yeah, there's just some really rapid growth going on in the energy storage industry. We just hit uh, the one gigawatt hour level um, last year, and we're expecting to double that in 2018. So we're undergoing, wow. undergoing tremendous growth. And it's driven very much by the rapidly declining costs um, and the increasing performance of storage, particularly battery storage. It's driven by changing consumer demands. It's driven by, we also see the electrification of our economy that is driving demand, as well as the technologies and the insights that we've seen in the controls and in the operations of our grid is sort of giving us more, a deeper understanding of shorter term changes in both demand and supply. That's, that's and an increased requirement quest for by consumers of flexibility and resilience and reliability. So all of these forces in the marketplace are driving us to um, really rapid growth. Last year, um, we at the Energy Storage Association released our 35 by 25 vision. And in, with support of Navigant Research, we found a really clear and actionable path to get us to 35 gigawatts of new storage across wow. all technologies by 2025. Is that available publicly, that report? Yeah. Yeah, you can get that on our website. It's uh, www.energystorage.org slash vision 2025. Excellent. That's, yeah, yeah. So, I mean, costs are coming down astronomically. They're just 50% of what they were like three to four years ago, specifically for lithium-ion batteries. And, and that trend is expected to continue in the near future. Storage is increasingly competing on, an, on the economics alone with conventional generation and infrastructure solutions. It's a, it's a really exciting time. And one of the, I just want to add, uh, one of the really cool, the coolest part is, is this is an enabling technology, not necessarily disruptive. Right. And what I, what I mean by that is it's not necessarily just going head to head with certain generation resources, but it enables the resources that are already on the grid to, to act more efficiently. It enables the, the grid itself to operate by decoupling that element of time from when you generate and when you use it, you're able to optimize the operations, which makes it more efficient and less expensive for consumers all across the board. So one of the things, so before we get to the policy piece, because it's such a, I think we'll probably take up the majority of the, the conversation. You've got the technology's grown, the market's grown, you know, like, like solar in 2008, 2009, 2010, the finance was, was lagging. You had sort of higher cost capital, um, you know, that was coming in because of the risk, uh, much like fuel cells were even a few years ago. 
you know, investors were looking at this technology saying, yeah, I'm, I'm almost there. I'm ready to go. I need to better understand one, you know, what these projects looks like, what the structures are. And two, will this company who is managing the project even really be here in this emerging market three mm-hmm. or four years from now when I'm committing long-term capital? What are you all seeing on the finance side of this that it, that it may or may not actually help accelerate? So uh, number one, as the, uh, the first thing is as more and more storage is being put on the grid, the operations side of this is getting uh, more and more efficient, and yeah. it's also getting less and less expensive. So as we talk about the costs of, of storage hardware coming down, the installed costs are coming down quite a bit as well. There was a McKinsey report about uh, the installed costs coming down. Oh, gosh. Have to, I'm sorry, I have to, I'll have to look that up, but uh, it was pretty astronomical that the, that the, sure. the soft costs of storage were coming down uh, pretty quickly. So that's number one, that, that we're learning more, we're standardizing. Our industry is beginning to really sort of get more toward looking at what can be developed similar to how the solar industry went through a standardized PPA contract. Right. Now there's interest in standardized contracts for storage but it's not just a kilowatt hour sort of contract. This is more about like the capacity side. It's right. more about the ancillary services and how can you get value from, for example, the flexibility that's required in the way the grid operates today, which I, kind of way, brings us to some of I think a lot of the lawyers of the- would tell you that the standardized PPA is still a holy grail. So, you know, there's, <laughs> as much as is, people are, yeah. it's more of like the familiarization of the contracts, right? The familiarization yeah. of... The, the industry, I think you hit on the, the fact that these soft costs are, are being really, really squashed, which is great because that'll help bring the economics in line for sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I, I think it's more of templates that you can use, right. and especially because of the complicated nature of the values that storage brings to the marketplace, not just energy and capacity. Um, right. Because of that, it really is going to be more of a template menu of things to choose from and then and then you then you you know then you use your competitive advantages as a corporation to to figure out how to how to set that contract up yeah absolutely well i think you you know one of the interesting things is right now an energy procure for a fortune 100 right it'd be a walmart apple ebay they they're literally working in 50 different energy fiefdoms to figure out how to implement their distributed generation strategies because all these utilities and, and PUCs, they, they manage it slightly different. You know, you've got California doing one thing, New York doing a little bit different, completely mm-hmm. different than what you're seeing in Kentucky or Georgia, right? So sto- to storage, policy is so key. How are you, before going into the policies yourselves, how are you seeing your members engage on policy and what, what more, if anything, could they be doing? Oh my gosh, if we had, (laughs) although we're, we're growing quite a bit, um, we are a pretty small organization. And if we had like double our people, we could do so much more, but our, we're able to rely on our, um, on our members quite a bit for their advocacy and their work. And what our job at the ESA is, is really to sort of make sure that we're harnessed and we're available and we are feeding the information that they need and we're identifying uh, alongside them the, the sort of issues that are coming up. And the issues we see are, 
you know, it's a little different than we just need, you know, a little money to help us make the project work. That's not what storage is about. Um, even at the, at the early stages of it, of its growth. Um, what we're about is that, you know, the regulatory framework never before contemplated a resource like this. Storage is not just, it's not generation. It is, it can be used to feed into the grid, but it also takes off the grid and it can be used for other services. And so because of the, the sort of nature of it, the regulatory framework just kind of doesn't, hasn't contemplated it yet, and so doesn't necessarily allow the access that's needed. And that's a huge thing for us from a policy perspective. Right. So let's go with policy. So I want to separate out the federal and state piece for a second. Yeah. Um, I think people recognize, um, probably most of the audience who's been interested in this space, there's not a whole lot happening on a federal energy policy perspective in, 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 in many levels. But but it sort of has turned almost into like a federal tax policy for energy that, that drives a lot of it. But, but overall, what, do you, what are some of the key federal policies that could or you see on the horizon that could help accelerate things for you all? And then I want to have a similar conversation, but really dive into the states a little bit. Okay, cool. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to argue your premise there and say that there is, um, when we talk policy broadly, you can talk like legislative or you can talk the regulatory. And I'll yep. tell you. Uh, we hit a watershed moment in February of this year from a federal policy perspective um, when it comes to FERC or the Federal Energy Regulatory Commission. They put forth an order, um, a five to zero order called order, FERC Order 841, that basically insisted that the independent system operators and the RTOs or uh, regional transmission operators find a way to allow for storage to enable multiple uses of storage and allow for the value to be added, given for that. So what that means is if storage can provide capacity, um, if it can provide black start capabilities, if it can provide, you know, not to get too wonky, but the regulation and the other ancillary services, then it should get credit for it and it should get the revenues. And that has never been done before. And so now this is, there's a lot of work to be done on it, but, but that was huge for our industry. That's going to allow us to actually act and be compensated for the difference in how storage acts in the marketplace versus generation or just, um, you know, just uh, transmission support or anything like that. So there's, there's a lot going on on the regulatory side from a federal perspective. From a legislative perspective, yeah, there's, um, you know, storage is given uh, an investment tax credit when it's coupled with solar. But we think storage, while we think it's important that we enable renewable technologies, it's not just solar, but wind and others as well, we think storage, when placed correctly locationally on the grid, can be uh, sh- can and should be compensated as a standalone resource. Right. And so there's a lot of activity, and I think there's some reception that we've had on the Hill, some good reception on the Hill, that storage should be um, allowed to receive an ITC uh, credit for for its yet on its own merit, not just when it's coupled with storage with solar. Interesting. Well, first of all, I appreciate the ch- the the challenge, and there is a lot happening, and the, the FERC piece is no doubt about it. I think legislatively. Definitely not as much, but 
Okay, so let's take it out of the federal piece, and I think that guidance is is, is going to help drive what we're seeing outside of just California. But but obviously, the, one of the hottest markets for this is California. Why? Like, what policies have come into place that have helped move storage forward so aggressively there? And then, you know, are there there are lessons we can learn from that to take into other areas? Yeah. So I think one of the interesting one of the most interesting and um, basic elements of what I think is why California is so forward thinking on storage is because they're so forward thinking on their environmental policy. And if they're planning ahead toward a, a good, strong penetration of solar and wind and other renewable resources in their future, then they've got to figure out how to make that grid not just clean, but also flexible because, you know, solar and wind, when the sun shines and when the wind's blowing, then you have your generation resources. But what if it's not? And how do you supplement that with something other than more polluting resources? And storage provides that, right? So you just hold up the solar and the wind when uh, you're, you've got oversupply and you put it back into the grid when it's not. And that just sort of simple concept of trying to meet their end goal, which is in, in, in many parts of California, is about the environmental goals that they have. I think that's what's driving it. But it's not the only driver, of course, for storage. Right. What, so what, obviously, there's also the demand driver to this. That's, I think it's so exciting. You know, yeah. What, what are we hearing from, uh, what are your customer, what your members hearing from their customers that, that has them, I think, so excited about where the space is going? Yeah, so we have some really, really interesting member companies that are providing services to end users in the storage space. Uh, you know, there's Sunrun, for example, and they right. have a fantastic solar plus storage program uh, that they use. And in some cases, they put solely so- storage in. And so that's allowing customers to not only have solar to offset their costs, but also to have solar stored up in the case that the the grid goes down and they can still operate. And that's a really exciting premise for those customers that choose solar as their resource to get off the grid or to um, really just simply lower their costs. Then there's another member that's really, really cool called STEM. And they they also do some solar plus storage, but the, the mainstay in the beginnings of this company was to do storage as not just uh, a demand reduction play for their consumers, their commercial and industrial customers, but also they take the the um, other part of their storage and they play into the wholesale market. Right. So they have a really interesting business model where they're helping consumers and they're helping the grid. That's one of the things it happens in Cal. It can happen in California. This is one of the reasons California is so far ahead of the rest of us um, when it comes to storage, is because they're already allowing multi-use, not just a not just in the product, but across the retail versus the wholesale market. For those listeners, I think you can go to, there's actually an interview with Bill Bush, the CFO of STEM uh, in a previous episode. And we're going to, we're going to be speaking a lot more about storage because uh, this is such an exciting space. And Kelly, I think we, you know, because of the ever changing market and ever changing sort of policy space and the, the growth of the Holy Grail come to come to nest here. Yeah. Uh, you know, we'd love to have you back on to talk more about this in the future and keep folks updated in the space. Um, but before I let you go, you know, there is a specific question I sort of ask all of our 
all the folks on the podcast. And if you could go back to yourself coming out of Columbus, Ohio, before you headed off to Boston to study mechanical engineering, or even coming out of BU and could sit down and give yourself a piece of advice, what would you say? Oh my gosh, that's a good one. Um, I would say keep calm. Change is constant. (laughs) Right, right. (laughs) You know, our industry has changed so much from the time that we, you know, you can go way back to PERPA even, but if you think about just the, the electricity industry itself and undergoing, um, restructuring and undergoing new technologies and it always every time I've been in this industry long enough that every time this kind of thing happens you have folks that are like this has never been this has never happened before this is the biggest change we've ever undergone it happens all the time and this is a really fun part of this industry is that we're constantly evolving now that said I'll also correct myself and say there has never been a time when we have been able to disconnect the element of time from generation and demand. And I think that's what's so exciting about storage right now. And that's why I'm here. I love the way you frame it. Well, thank you so much for joining us. I appreciate it. Thank you so much for having me. This was a lot of fun. It was great having Kelly on today, talking about the amazing and emerging market around energy storage. If you have other thoughts on folks we should be interviewing, please go to cleancapital.com and and share them with us. You can uh, access experts only and other episodes for experts only on that website. Also, I just want to put a special thanks to our producers, Emily Connor, uh, Lauren Glickman, and our intern, Greg Phillips, who uh, is heading back to the University of Michigan. Greg, thank you for all your support and help. Uh, As I mentioned, go to cleancapital.com for more episodes, and we look forward to continuing the conversation. Thanks for listening in today's conversation. Find more episodes on cleancapital.com, iTunes, or wherever you get your podcasts. If you like what you hear, be sure to subscribe and leave us a five-star review. We look forward to continuing our conversation on energy, innovation, and finance with you.